Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. spend so much time on things that mean so little I'm not made to waste my time what am I made for talent why am I using all my talent for personal gain I'm not made to be selfish with my talent what am I made for treasure what do I gain by refusing to share I'm not made to spend my treasure on myself What am I made for? Potential. Why am I not breaking through to the next level? I'm not made to be complacent. I'm made for more. We're made for more. Hello, everybody. Good to see you today. Thank you for being at church. Woo! This is a a good crowd for post-Thanksgiving. Real good crowd. So my name is Michael Singer, and I am the service pastor at our Lake Norman campus. Uh, I'm also part of the teaching team. That's why you have me here today here at our central campus. Uh, Central campus is the original home for me and glad to be here. So I love this place. But I also love Lake Norman. It's great people up here. So y'all just have a way. The people that come to Freedom House just have a way of being so great. And so thank you for being that way. Uh, glad you're here today, and uh, I'm, I mentioned the teaching team, and so what that means, in case you're new here at Freedom House, is that we have a team of people that allow us to have live people preaching at each one of our campuses, teaching at each one of our campuses, uh, so if you ever show up at a different campus, you'll see one of us, uh, and if for some reason today you just don't have a good time, come back next week, there'll be somebody else speaking, <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm certain they've got something good to say. Uh, but I'm glad you're here, and I want to take a minute and just give a hand clap of honor to our senior pastors, Troy and Penny Maxwell, so clap for them. I'm very thankful to come alongside them and let them be out front and lead. Uh, I'm a lot better at coming alongside than out leading out front, so very thankful just personally uh, to be able to walk alongside them and what they're doing with this church, the vision they have, uh, and then the result of that is seeing all these great people and what you bring to God's house uh, and to the local church. So thank you for what you give. And if you haven't gotten involved, get involved and give something. Before we get going, one of my favorite things, if you don't have our Freedom House app, one of my favorite things on the Freedom House app is the ability to take notes during the message. Because I used to write on those papers and I would go, oh, this is so good, I'm gonna keep this. And you put it on, I put it on my nightstand and I never look at it again. Uh, So now I have it in my phone. So if I ever need to find it, uh, then I can find it. So if you have that app, just go to the messages. You can pull up the notes. Uh, and you can take notes, write down whatever you feel like God might be speaking to you. Even if it's not one of my main points or a point I make, you just figure out what God's saying to you and write that down because that's the most important thing uh, that he wants to say. So I want everybody to do me a favor. Uh, we're going to start off. I want you to stand up, and I just want us to make a little ruckus. You could clap, you know, move your hands around. Yeah, come on, just make a ruckus. Yeah. Now, 
All right, you can be seated. Now, I had you do that because I don't want you saying tryptophan made you fall asleep, all right? If you don't know what tryptophan is, look it up. There's no turkey. Unless you had Thanksgiving leftovers the past two days, tryptophan is not an excuse to fall asleep, right? So don't give me that. I want you to stay awake, pay attention. I really do feel like God has something to say to you. I know there's some things that he said to me through this message. Uh, but I want to start by telling you a story from my life. When I was in high school, and this is going to be one of the old guys going back and talking about his accolades in high school in sports, so just get ready. Just put on your seatbelt. Daddy's talking. I can barely get up off the floor now, but back in high school, I used to run cross country. <laughs> 5K, 3.1 miles, that's how long the races were in cross country. And I'll never forget, I have a lot of memorable moments from, from cross country in high school, but I'll never forget this one particular time that stands out probably almost above any other moment I had in cross country. So we're running a race, and not sure for those of you that have run any out here, but don't know if you've ever had a moment when you're running and you get that side cramp, that side stitch, that like, oh my gosh, I got to stop kind of thing. I had that. And it was during a race against other competitors, other people in our conference, not during practice. I can guarantee you had it happened during practice, I probably would have stopped. But in a race, nah, I couldn't stop. I had to keep running with those guys beside me. And so that pain came and I pushed through and something happened that I didn't expect to happen. I didn't know was going to happen. Nobody ever told me what happened. I'm not even sure if it's a set thing that always happens. But as I pushed through and that, that pain in my side went away, I had the most energy like I had just started the race and hadn't even run any in the race. This amount of energy that just allowed me to keep running and running faster and feeling fresher than I ever had. I almost stopped because of this stitch in my side, but I kept running and pushed through. And on the other side of that, I felt way better. Not sure if you're aware, but in the, early, in the early part of November, there was a young man who was placed in the Guinness Book of World Records. His name is Chris Nickick. I might be mispronouncing his last, last name, so if you're kin to him, forgive me. Chris Nickick. He was put into the Guinness Book of World Records because he was the first person with Down syndrome to complete an Ironman triathlon. It's one thing to say, wow. It's one thing to understand what an Ironman triathlon is all about and then say, wow. So let me remind us, in case we've forgotten, what it means to complete an Ironman triathlon. You first have to swim 2.4 miles in open water. Then you have to bike 112 miles. Anybody tired yet? I know I am. And then you have to run a full marathon, which is 26 two miles. One thing I didn't know when I was looking this up is that they actually have a cutoff time for the Ironman triathlon. This isn't just anybody go walk and take your time. You have up to 17 hours to do this thing. Chris Nickick finished with 14 minutes to spare just underneath the 17 hours. Here's some of the cool things I love about this story. Chris Nickick, during the biking part of the race, he stopped for a nutrition stop. He fell off his bike and ants got all over his body. But he completed the race. The other thing I love about this story that you might not know is that his parents said that when Chris first started years ago, he could barely swim one length across the swimming pool. 
barely swim one length across the swimming pool, and yet he completed, and is in the Guinness Book of World Records, he completed an Ironman triathlon. What I love about that story of Chris, what I love about thinking about that moment back from my high school when I was running is that we are really made for more. We oftentimes don't know it. We oftentimes miss out, but we are made for more. And I'm here to tell you today, don't walk out of this room thinking that you're not made for more. And it's not about completing a triathlon. It's not about pushing through in just a running race. It's about understanding that you were created, and because you're created, you and I are made for more. Bottom line, we serve a big God, and he made us to be more than what we think we can be. This past week, we said goodbye and had a service to say goodbye and honor and celebrate the life of a gentleman that if you've been at Central Campus, you know exactly who he is. His name is Bob McCall. Bob McCall passed. Bob McCall was the guy that if you've been here, you've watched online, he was the guy that would stand on this platform and say, one, two, three, give me a big honor to God. He was loud. He filled up a room. His, his voice just boomed and echoed and created energy wherever it went. If you knew Bob, you knew he was a guy that when he came in contact with you, he left something on you. You understood and you knew who he was. He was a guy that was probably the most encouraging guy to ever walk the face of this earth. He was always positive about everything. Bob was a guy who was bigger than life. Bob was a guy who probably did more in a day than I've done in six years. He was just that kind of guy. What you don't know about Bob McCall is that Bob McCall was actually preparing to teach this weekend at Lake Norman. He was going to preach the message at Lake Norman. Two days before he passed, he and I were on a Zoom call, and we were walking through his message and working through his message. After I found out Bob passed, I told my wife, I said, you know what? I think I need to preach Bob's message. So today is a message from Bob McCall with a little bit of Michael Singer sprinkled in. When I was sitting with Bob, Bob said, man, Pastor Michael, I'm excited about this message. He said, because this is who I am, and it is who Bob was. Like, I feel like Bob should be saying this because Bob lived made for more in everything, in the way he went about his day, in his, his business he had started, in speaking to other people and teaching them leadership and empowering them, and being curious about other leaders and trying to get them to be their best, and in working out and all the stuff he did, playing golf, everything he did, he was made for more, and he was so excited about this message. And Bob wrote something in his notes, and I want to share it with you today because this is who Bob McCall is. This is a statement that makes up the fact that Bob McCall was made for more. Bob said this, I have a servant leader attitude. I do not believe in sitting on the sidelines when God has a need. We're made for more. We have scriptures in the Bible that they tell us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We have a scripture in Romans 8.31 that it says, if God is for me, then who can be against me? So why is it if we have all these scriptures that remind us of how much God loves us, how much we're made for more, why is it so hard sometimes to get off the sidelines in life and actually get in the game of the different aspects and area of our life? 
Maybe it's not every area. Maybe there's one area that occasionally trips us up or we feel like, man, I just don't feel like doing that. Maybe there are certain areas that it's a constant that we just, just don't feel like we can get off the sidelines. We just don't believe that we're made for more. Why is it so hard in our marriage sometimes? Why is it so hard in our family as a parent? Why is it so hard in our finances to maybe tithe or maybe decide to be a kingdom builder? Why is it so hard when it comes to serving others? Why is it so hard when it comes to serving God? Why do we have these moments where it can be so challenging to get off the sidelines, get in the game of our life, and realize that we're made for more? There's a very famous football coach, Lou Holtz, and he has this quote, and I think this quote gives us a little idea why sometimes it might be hard. Lou Holtz said this, People fail when they are faced with a little adversity. People fail when they are faced with just a little adversity adversity and I know that to be true in my life if you're here today and you're breathing if you're watching online I would bet money everybody here has faced some type of adversity in life and if I wouldn't bet money on that I would bet money on this everybody is going to face adversity sometime in life if you're here and you face adversity and you're on the good side you're like all right I'm on the mountaintop let me just prepare you There's going to be some adversity because I believe it's when we have adversity in our face and we decide to get off the sidelines of life that we'll really realize that we're made for more. So Bob decided to look at a guy in the Bible by the name of Paul because Bob recognized that Paul has some qualities that can help us when we're faced with adversity. Some qualities that can remind us, don't forget, you're made for more. Don't forget, get off the bench and get in the game because you're worth it. So we're going to look at Paul today. And this is not exhaustive, but we're going to share a few things about Paul, a gentleman who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, a guy who loved God. We're going to find out when adversity comes, how in the world do we get off the sidelines, get in the game, and realize that we're made for more. So we're going to read a verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, to start this off. So Philippians 3, 17, I'm going to try to do this from the screen. I don't normally do this, but you'll notice there's some words that are underlined. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to help be my voice. So when we read this today, I'm going to read the parts, and when I get to the underlined part, I want you as loud as you can to respect and honor Bob McCall, because if he was here, he wouldn't want it small. He would want it big. As loud as you can, you're going to say the parts of this scripture that are underlined. All right, here we go. Philippians 3. My friends, I want you to follow my example and learn from others who closely follow the example we set for you. I love Paul here. He doesn't say, dear friends, I've got a lot to tell you and I'm going to tell you what you should do in life and then you're just going to follow my words. No, he says, follow my example. And if I'm not around, follow the example we set for you and set for others. It's the example that's important. Whenever we're faced with adversity, we need to remember that we're leading by example. We're leading by example. Here's what I don't want us to hear. I'm not talking about the fake it till you make it, put on my good happy face for church. Glory to God. He's the greatest. Honor to God. That's cool. I'm all about being positive and there's power. In our words. But I'm not talking about a false fake thing 
just trying to look good on the outside and never dealing with the example of who we are from the inside out. I think we do need to have a happy smile in moments because there are other people at play and we are being an example. But we also need to have those moments where we really just get with God and say, God, I'm going to stay in the game, but I need you to work some things out of me because I am an example. And everyone in here, even if it's just one person that you're an example to, we are all an example. You've probably, if you lived any amount of time, you've probably heard the phrase, actions speak louder than words. That's what Paul was saying in that scripture. He said, follow our actions, not just what we say. And if you have kids, kids will remind you that our actions speak way louder than our words because you'll see your kid doing something and you're like, what in the world, where'd you get that from? I saw you do it the other day, daddy. And then it's like, oh gosh. Back here at Central Campus, a number of years back, I was over our parking team. And I love the parking team. I love people flow and I love car flow. I love trying to think through all the algorithms and how to make people get in and out. And I love the parking lot because the parking lot is like the first place. It lets people know whether or not they're going to come back. If they come onto a parking lot of a place and they have a horrible experience, it don't matter what God you got in here, they probably got a wall up and they're not going to listen at all. They made their mind up before they get in the parking lot. So here at Freedom House, we're all about, hey, let's, let, one of our core values is excellence. Let's be excellent. Let's do the best that we can. We're not going to be perfect, but we are going to do everything we can to, to help people know that we, we thought about you, we care about you, and we're going to try to lay out the red carpet because you're important. We used to do that in the parking lot. I used to talk to the guys on the parking team that were volunteers out there. Hey, guys, we are the first face of Freedom House. We are the first face of God. We are the ones that show everybody. I would say all this stuff, and I was just preaching, let's do this. One day, one of the team leaders came up to me. The name was Keith Fromberger, and I love Keith, but Keith said some real hard things to me that day, but I appreciated Keith saying those things because Keith said some hard things, but he said them with love, and he said, hey, Michael, I just want to you know, paint a picture for you, show you something in case you don't realize You've been talking to the guys about, hey, we need to be excellent. We need to do this. And we've had some walkie-talkies that have been broken for three to six months now. It's real hard for these guys to do their job and to be excellent and to serve well if they don't have all the tools they need to serve well. Woo! Now, he wasn't saying anything new or that I didn't know about. I'd been kicking myself for three to six months about needing to do this, but I hadn't done it. You see, I could say whatever I wanted to, but it was my example that spoke way more. Do you think those guys left a little huddle and were all ready to go if they're like, dang, this walkie's still broken. Michael must just believe what he's saying, but he don't ever do what he's saying. Our example is extremely important. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, verses 4 through 5. This is, a very, this is a very sobering verse for me. Ecclesiastes 5. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Have you ever rather just somebody not tell you they were going to do something instead of saying they were going to do it and then not do it? I've done that to people and that's been done to me. And God is saying, hey, look, it's our example that really sets the tone, that really speaks volumes. The thing I love about being, at faith, being faced with adversity and reminding myself that I am leading my life by example is because that allows this organic accountability to happen in life. 
Jalea and I lead a lot of our premarital curriculum, our premarital life groups here at the church. And do you know that leading those life groups is a great reminder of some principles that we're doing well or we need to work on in marriage? But the other thing I love about it, in the midst of telling these couples about marriage, in the midst of preparing them for the reality of what's about to smack them in the face, in the midst of sharing with them practical principles that they could take with communication and use and spiritual principles, in the midst of all that, probably my favorite and the greatest thing that I hope they get when they sit in that life group with Jalea and I is that I hope more than anything they feel the vibe of our marriage. I hope that they see by example that marriage can be great no matter what your experience has been or what you've seen, that you can have a marriage that changes and transcends everything around you and moves people to know who God is just by watching you in your marriage. There is an organic accountability that when we show up to life group, we need to realize that we don't need to have our stuff together just to look good. We need to have our marriage together because there are people's lives on the line and we're being an example and we have an opportunity to make a huge positive example if we're willing to work and have a marriage that is thriving. Bob wanted to leave some questions with you today to ponder when it comes to thinking about being an example. Here's the questions. What kind of example do I set for others? What kind of example do I set for others? What are my standards? What are the values? What are the things that are really running and ruling and reigning in my life? Am I aware that I am influencing people around me? Like has the light bulb gone off that if we, we wake up and step out of the door, we are actually being an influence? What am I rubbing off on people? I mentioned that Bob was the kind of guy when you met him, he rubbed off on you. What is it that people are getting from me? Does, does me being around cause other people to get angry and upset and grumpy like I am? Or does me being around bring some joy and some happiness, even if it seems challenging, people feel like, you know what, I think I can do this. Are we setting an example we want others to follow in our family, in our marriage, at work, in our community, or how we are serving? The Apostle Paul said, hey, follow my example, because he understood that we are an example, and being that example was huge. But he also understood that it's important that we take stock, that we take stock in life. Now, here's what that means to take stock. Taking stock simply means that we pause long enough to look and survey and think about our life, think about the feelings we have in moments, think about our emotions, think about what we did and maybe what we shouldn't have done, think about what we did and it turned out well and maybe I need to duplicate that because that seemed to be beneficial to everyone around me. It's taking a survey of life. And here's what it says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14, as Paul takes stock of his life. He said this, But Christ has shown me that what I once thought was valuable is worthless. Nothing is as wonderful as knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have given up everything else and counted all as garbage. All I want is Christ and to know that I belong to him. I could not make myself acceptable to God by obeying the law of Moses. God accepted me simply because of my faith in Christ. All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised him to life. I want to suffer and die as he did so that somehow I also may be raised to life. I have not yet reached my goal and I am not perfect. But Christ has taken hold of me. 
So I keep on running and struggling to take hold of the prize. My friends, I don't feel that I have already arrived, but I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is ahead. I run toward the goal so that I can win the prize of being called to heaven. This is the prize that God offers because of what Christ Jesus had done. I'm going to take a minute and go back and hit some of the things that Paul talked about in those verses when he took stock. But when I was in high school, I was part of this youth group. And one of the things that we would do every year as a youth group is we would go on this summer camp to this, uh, to the, to near the beach and we would have this great time where we would connect with God. There'd be music. There'd be fun times. And typically this trip was a trip that when people went, there was usually something, that, some way, shape, or form that God impacted them. They really had a moment where they set aside and allowed God to speak to them and to know who they were in him and also to start a relationship with him and move along in that relationship with him. And I used to love these trips, but I did not like when we came back from these trips because my youth pastor would make everybody the following Sunday at church service. It was the youth service, and everybody had to stand up and talk in front of the crowd. Ugh, sick, gross. I didn't want to do that. I was so nervous every time, just like I am today. Just nervous, didn't want to get up there, scared to death. But I noticed something multiple times. That when we would get done, there was this older gentleman named Mr. Archie Huggins. Mr. Archie Huggins, about this tall, would walk up to me, and he was just the greatest guy, and he would say, oh, Michael, it was so good to hear the youth speak today, and everybody did so great, but you and Jennifer Gibson really have a gift up there. Like, y'all really are good when you speak. I was like, oh, just thank you, Mr. Archie. And I was just thinking, oh, this is an old dude just telling me thank you, being just an encourager. I go through all my life, and I, I hear this a few different times and so I began to talk to God and I said all right God it seems like this whole communication thing might be there might be something there so here's what I'm going to do you got to be careful what you say to God <clears throat> I said any chance you give me to speak in front of people no matter how scared I am no matter how bad it, I feel like it might go or does go if my calendar's open or I'm available from a calendar standpoint I'll do it and can I tell you I walked out of some places that I hated the fact people had to be there to hear me, and I felt bad for those people that were there. It was a train wreck, man. It was terrible. I remember in the college ministry I was in, I was a super senior, so I was at college for a while just trying to get my bachelor's degree. But I couldn't wait because in that college ministry, they would always let the seniors speak like on the last meeting of the year. And people knew who I was because I'd been around for a while. And I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to just drop some knowledge on these young kids. And I stand up there, didn't bring any notes with me. I stand up there, and my mind just went blank. I forgot everything. Here you got this old dude that everybody knows, and he ain't got nothing to say. I got so nervous, pouring sweat, went down and sat back by delay, and I just felt terrible, man. But I took stock of those moments. I learned to take notes with me, no matter how much I thought I had it together. And I'm an outline guy, so like, I just got all this, it looks crazy. If you saw this, you'd be like, what in the heck is he trying to say? But I got things like in blue and red, and as I've taken stock of that gift, I've learned what works and what I need to work on to get better at it. 
I have certain spots that I, I intentionally end on my page so that I know when I get through sharing that example, I know the scripture's on the next page. I need to make sure I move my pages of my notes so I don't get far away and forget that I haven't moved my notes and I get back and I forgot what's on page two, but my notes are still on page one. You have to take stock. We have to look at our life, and that's what Paul does. Here's what Paul basically said in that scripture. He said, I've realized that what I've ascribed value was not really valuable. Once I put my attention on some things, but I realized the only thing I needed to put my attention on was knowing and believing who God was and belonging to him because everything else really did not have the weight that I thought it had in life. Paul learned that obeying laws didn't make him acceptable to God. It was only by faith that he could be made acceptable to God. He learned that his model for the way that he should live is Jesus alone and that that's how he would live his life. He realized that he had not arrived and fulfilled everything in life and that he wasn't perfect, so he wasn't going to focus on what was behind him, but he was going to keep pushing on and struggling ahead and realize that he's made for more. He was going to get off the sidelines, and there was nothing that was going to keep him on the bench anymore of his life. He understood that the only prize worth, worth focusing on and striving towards was the prize that God had for him. Part of that was heaven, but also part of that was what he could experience on earth in realizing that he was an example as he was taking stock of his life. Bob McCall has some questions he wants you to ponder. What does success look like to us? What does success look like? How do we define it? What or who has, has influenced that definition? What has caused us to arrive at this definition of what we think success is? What have I given up or sacrificed to pursue success? What are the things that have been hurt because I've pursued that success? What damage, what's the wake of my damage as I pursue my success? What role, if any, have I allowed God's perspective and purpose to be a part of what I am chasing? Am I chasing just what I want? Am I chasing just my dreams and my desires? Or do my dreams and my desires really align with what God has? Does he have any say in my life? Am I allowing his perspective and his purpose to come through and infiltrate and permeate every aspect of my life. Because we're an example, and we're called to lead like an example. And to remember that when things hit us in life, that you're worth it and you're an example. Get out there stay in the game. I don't care if you're limping. I don't care if you got a cast on. Get out there. If you got to play life with the Michael Jordan flu game, then do that. Get the flu and go play like Michael Jordan did, but let's get out there. We have to take stock. We have to realize that we're made for more, but part of that is sitting and going, all right, where am I being too apprehensive? Where am I holding back? Am I just looking at myself or am I really allowing God to be a part of this equation? The last thing that we see from Paul is that when we're faced with adversity, we have to understand that we need to live with a lifestyle of contentment. A lifestyle of contentment. Out of the three, I would say that Probably this one for me is the one that God has really been working in me over the last number of years, and I feel like I've probably grown and arrived even more in this last one of having a lifestyle of contentment. That when adversity comes, when things hit, one of the ways I stay in the game is that I remain content with what God has given me in every aspect of my life. 
Here's what Paul said in Philippians when he talked about contentment verses, uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 10 through 13. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you renewed your concern for me. So he's talking to the church of Philippi. He's telling the church, I'm thankful that God renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living in plenty or I'm living in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This all sounds great. Paul sounds like a guy who's sitting on a beach going, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm good if I don't have, you know, this umbrella drink in this chair. I'm good when I have had it. I'm just content because life is so great. It's easy to read this and think that Paul is writing this at a time where things are going great because they're actually not. Paul writes this letter to the church of Philippi while he's in prison. This is a man who has faced shipwrecks. This is a man who has faced potential beatings. This is a man who has been locked up. This is a man who has been beat down. This is a man that says, I am content. And I love the extremes, whether I'm in want or whether I have everything I need. That means if I can be content in both of those, then everything in between I can be content in. Paul is encouraging us. When adversity comes, because it will, What's our contentment look like? Do we get lost in what we have and we think that that expresses who God is? Because Bob McCall would say, no, that's not it at all. Bob McCall would say, let's pick ourselves up. Let's get back in the game. Be content with where God has you. If it seems confusing, be content. If it seems painful, be content. If it's exciting and fun and great and you're experiencing God in ways you've never experienced Him, be content. God wants us to be content in everything. I have this problem. The problem is when I get worked up and there's a situation where things have maybe just turned into a fire or it feels like a storm has come through and just messed everything up and I'm a part of trying to fix it and make it happen, I have this problem that I walk real fast. Now, it's not no problem to walk fast. So all you fast walkers, it's fine. This is why it's a problem for me. I tend to walk fast on the outside when I'm unsettled on the inside or when I feel like I'm striving and trying to fix something myself. So years ago, God began to challenge me. When I get in those moments, and it happened a whole lot out in the parking lot, because if you've ever seen people drive, things get chaotic real quickly. And on a church parking lot, they really get chaotic. Common sense gets checked on Salome Church Road and just never makes it in the parking lot. But I would find myself racing. I've got to fix this. I've got to do it. It's in my strength. I've got to get this. Oh, my gosh, this is crazy. I've got to solve it. And God said, Michael, when you get in those moments and you know you're walking fast, I want you to just start walking slowly because what I need you to understand is that I need you to calm down on the inside and let me have my way. I need you to be content 
in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the craziness, I need you to be content. God wants us to be content with our life. If you will, stand to your feet. You're an example. Whether we like it or not, we're an example. We have to decide, am I going to step out on that? When things are tough, am I going to get out and be that example? Man, we have to really think through our life. We have to stop sometimes, just stop long enough to look. And sometimes it's scary and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's hurtful. And sometimes there are pains we don't want to see. But we have to stop. The rat race is not for us. The Bible said it's a race of endurance. We have to stop. And we have to think and allow God's perspective before we take the next step. And then we have to realize that we have to be content. You're here and your life is worth it. Let's learn to be content in who God made us to be. I believe Bob McCall was extremely content in who he was. He understood that he was an example. He understood and he took advantage of that. Bob was a guy who would stop and look at his life. And I'm not asking us to be like Bob, but I'm asking us to see that example and realize that Bob was just following Jesus and what Jesus had done in his life. That's why he cared so big. That's why he was larger than life. Is because he had a relationship with a God who was bigger than life and he understood that we are made for more if you will close your eyes and I ask people to close their eyes because I just want you to take a survey of you this is about you right now not about me I know God speaks and I know he's speaking to you and it might sound like your voice but I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you the question is what, what's he saying today's an opportunity you don't have to walk out of here wondering if you're made for more you don't have to walk out of here wondering if you actually can be that example, wondering if you're going to be able to take stock, or even if you're ever going to be able to be content. You don't have to walk out of here wondering if you have to do it on your own. There's a big God who loves you and cares for you, and He wants to walk with you as we walk through this life and do this. If you're here today and you want a relationship with God, not a go to church, sit on the chair and think I'm a Christian, but a relationship with God where we say, I believe you died for me and I accept that into my life. If that's you and you want a real relationship, I just want you to slip your hand up and when you put it up, you can put it back down. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir, for raising your hand. Thank you. Back there on the left, thank you for raising your hand. Thank you for being bold. Now, if you're here today and you have that relationship or you're going through life in one of these three areas, being an example, taking stock, and having contentment. One or more of these areas really spoke to you. You feel like God said, hey, it's time to start making a change. If you feel like there was an area speaking to you, I just want you to lift your hand up and you can put it back down. I see hands all over. My hand is there with you. All right, we're going to pray a prayer today. And I want you as loud as you can to repeat these words after me. It's good to hear yourself say these words because these are your words. You're just repeating them after me. Say this after me. God, I love you. Thank you for your son Jesus dying and being raised from the dead for me. I accept that. I also accept that I'm an example. 
that I need to take stock and I need to learn contentment. Thank you that you give me the grace and mercy to get off the sidelines and get in the game. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all clap for those people that raise their hand. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we want to hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message. Thank you.